everybody. Welcome to an extra episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tanning Grace. This is Ross Merriam. Um, it is about 2 o'clock my time, so 3 o'clock Eastern on October 4th. And if you, that date means anything to you for announcements of magic, you probably know why we're recording an episode today. Ross, I know you got a lot of stuff you want to get off your chest as the show goes on. I wrote notes, Tannen. He has physical notes, people. Like, usually we have him in the show notes. He's got a notebook or something. So I'm going to try to keep up with Ross as much as possible. Go ahead, Ross. You're trying to say something. I, I interrupted. I just wanted to let you know that the notebook this is... Uh, I purchased this notebook in, hold on, I can figure it out, uh, 2007. Okay. Because I could look at the front page, and I see these are clearly notes from Real Analysis, which I took my sec- my spring semester of my sophomore year of college, which is 2007. Isn't it amazing that, like, you know, you think about school supplies and some of the stuff you buy? Like, I went to find something to go, like, I was like, I need some paper, you know, and, like, yeah. I brought a legal pad to, like, the last pro tour to do some stuff on it, and I went and looked at it, and, like, one of my legal pads said stuff from my last, quote-unquote, real job, and then the other legal pad I had was, like, notes from, like, I think one of my last history courses I ever took, and this was in, like, 2006 or something like that, and I'm like, it's amazing how much... You don't use these things once you're out of college. Yeah. And my, it, my favorite thing from growing school. up, obviously, is thinking like when you you weren't allowed to use a calculator in your test, and you're like, would well, you just always have a calculator on you? And you're like, yeah, I have better than a calculator on me at all times <laughs> now, which is hilarious. Yeah. So who was right, Miss Whatever in fifth grade? You know, <laughs> I, I was. Um, but but I, I've, I needed to take notes. I was, uh, well, let's say a little heated earlier today. Yeah. Um, yeah. I knew it was coming when this announcement happened. Ross started, tw- uh, I said tweeting at me. Ross started uh, texting me. Yeah, I took, I took, I took, actually took a walk before this to just, you know, calm myself, pop my headphones I in, done that. took a walk, came back, wrote some notes. So, uh, you know, I, I gave everybody a warning about this episode. Uh, that, that pro- it probably won't get that heated. It'll, it'll get a little heated. Um, but I, I've, I've gone to some lengths. To make sure that I'm a little bit more measured uh, in in my thoughts for this, because I, I think it's important. Honestly, like I, n- normally, I wouldn't have even watched, you know, that that stream. I happened to be up, just wake up early this morning, and I was like, "Well, okay, I guess I'll watch it," you know, because we're going to talk about some of the things, and it's easier to see everything here than it is to try to piece together everything afterwards, because there's it's never aggregated well. And uh, yeah, that ended up being a mistake. <laughs> so. Uh, but yeah, suffice it to say, I have I have some things to say. So we'll get into all that stuff uh, pretty soon. I'm going to be reading and learning about some of the stuff as we go. Usually I'm a little more prepared, but I had a lot of stuff to do for Fab this morning. It's why we're recording now. Instead of earlier, since Ross is up early, he's literally been waiting. I think it's the fastest I've ever text Ross to do an episode. And he's like, I'm already in the room, like waiting for you. Like, we're, we're, I'm, I'm <laughs> Let's already go. Let's go. He's, Ross is chopping at the bit to do this episode. But before we get into th- today's announcement, there was a pretty big event that went over, on over the weekend that had coverage, uh, a lot of people, and uh, a lot of chat going around it uh, this weekend as well at the Legacy Pit 2. Yeah, Legacy Pit Open 2. Um which I attended just to play some modern RCQs, uh, given that it was so close in Richmond. Uh, you know, the, the 1K RCQ on Saturday and then the 5K slash 3K RCQ on Sunday. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as the magic went, you know, I lost the finals of the first one. Uh, Breach is still great. There were three Breach players in the top eight of the 1K. We, two of us met the finals, so I lost the mirror. And then there was uh, the one who lost the quarters on day one also lost the quarters on day two. 
Breach was also the second most played deck on the Sunday RCQ. That's that's surprising. There were me. ten copies of it. Yeah. Creativity was the most played deck. So yeah, that was interesting. I, I think players are starting to pick it up. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out over the the coming weeks. But yeah, obviously, the big story was the the prize snafu uh, with you know Legacy Pit itself. Uh, if you're unaware of what exactly happened, the main event, the Legacy main event, was advertised as a 20k. You know that it was in the the title of the tournament. And on everything, every piece of branding that I ever saw yeah. was a 20k. And then the Sunday RCQ was advertised as a 5k. The Abra Roberts Memorial Tournament, uh, again, you know, always used in every piece of branding. Now, uh, if you looked into the posted prize support, which was in Melee. Because both of those tournaments were run on melee, and uh, you know, you, if you if you're familiar with melee, like the, you know, once you go to the tournament page, there's a couple different tabs, and one of them is prizes. If you went and actually looked, you would have seen that they had they had prizes listed for the top eight of each event, and prizes for the for anyone outside of the top eight was based on record. And if you did the math you would realize that those numbers that were advertised, the 20K and the 5K, were only going to be hit if they got to their cap. 600 for the Legacy event, 300 for the Modern event. And not only that, instead of writing the record in terms of like X2, X11, things like that, where where you're unclear how many rounds there are, they once again were assuming that they would hit the cap, and they put total match points. So it looked a little weird on Sunday when it said, if you have 21 points but didn't make the top eight, you get X amount of money. And 21 points would have meant you went 7-0 and because it was a seven-round tournament with 126 people in it. So it's impossible for you to get to this record without making yeah. top eight, right? And, so like- and, it, and in fact, everybody, you know, who uh, all of the records listed that would have gotten, you know, prizes were all people that would have been in top eight, except for maybe one. Um, the... The legacy event did have a stipulation saying anybody who made day two but uh, you know didn't reach these records. I think the legacy actually is paid to thirty two, and then everyone else got to, got a certain amount. But the the primary issue is that based on the attendance that they did get, which was about half of their cap in each case, slightly under, um, they gave out uh, like thirteen and a half k in the legacy event and three k in the modern event. And for modern, that three that three k was only after they adjusted the records for non top eight prizes down six match points to match that it was seven rounds instead of nine, which they did on the fly during the event and posted it in like round six or five or something something like that. Um, and uh, oddly enough, they, they did so- another strange thing when they did this. They made the, the prize for going five and two sixty dollars. And they made the prize for going four one one forty five dollars, or uh, sorry, four two one. Um, so if you were four two going into the last round, you could play the, your match out, and the winner would get sixty, the loser would get nothing, or you could just ID and both get forty five. So you could actually make more money technically. Yeah, like total the payout be bigger. Yeah, and so so most players chose that option. I, upon finding this out. Immediately turned to my opponent, explained the situation, and asked to draw, assuming he would immediately accept. Yes. He pointed to a slip of paper that he had folded into a tent, and on the side of the tent facing outward, it said, I came to play. Sure. 
this he had already made this and i just i just shrugged my shoulders played the match browned him in two games and took my 60 dollars um so a, a little side anecdote there but obviously there was a bit of an uproar about the fact that these were advertised as you know $25,000 $25,000 total prize purse between the two events and they only ended up giving out about 16 or 17,000. Um now the counterpoint is that you know technically the exact prize structure was advertised, yeah, right? Yeah, they technically paid out exactly what they technically yeah. promised. Yeah, in fact, you know slightly more technically if if you count the the you know the best, way they technically kind of listed correct. the 5k prizes yeah the best kind of correct i don't know if anybody can hear how many quotations just happened <laughs> yeah so many, so many quotes. air quotes sure. and my, so my my response from from my position was was this i've been playing tournament magic for a long time i've played in a lot of 20k 10k 5k events i have a pretty good idea of what the price structure of these events usually looks like so if it's advertised as a 20k, why in the world would I go in and like check the prizes to make sure that they're doing things you know a normal way? You know, there, there's some slight variance, like some are a little more top heavy. SCG I think usually is a little more top heavy because they like to advertise like that big number at the top. Um, but like you know, if, if it's a little flatter, sure. But it's almost always you know, pay to top 32 or top 64, and you know every power of two, it, there's a new bracket. And this was just, you know, completely different. I don't know if the, the way the the one they ran before worked like this. Um, you know, that one apparently did cap the Legacy Open 1. But that was, again, that was only 300 people. So they expected, I guess, to double their attendance in Richmond, which is, you know, a lower attended site historically. Um, and not, not only that, it, it would have been going out of my way to do this because I didn't register directly through Melee. I registered through their website, where the prize, where the exact breakdown was not listed, though it did explicitly say twenty thousand dollar cash payout for the legacy and five thousand dollar cash payout for the modern. And I, you know, registered, filled out my information to pay, paid them, and then got an email and uh, registered via Melee to get into the tournament the night before. So I didn't even interact with Melee until the night before the tournament, after I was already there and committed. And the 1K I played on on Saturday, you know, uh, didn't even use Melee. That was all through the companion app. So, like, it's strange to me that, you know, they're sort of getting off on a technicality that, you know, they did post it somewhere, but they posted it in a very obscure location that, you know, no one, I think very few people would reasonably check. And then even if you did check it, you would then have to do the math yourself to figure out how much money they were giving out. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're if you've gone oh, to a lot of these, caught us. Yeah, it's, it's kind of what it feels like. I guess you guys caught us. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, I can believe that this was a, an honest mistake of theirs, or what? And you know, they really thought that they were going to you know cap cap these events. I could have told them that that was a pipe dream. Like I don't I don't think we've ever capped an event in Richmond ever, except for that one huge GP during those couple of years where GPs were gigantic. Um, because they didn't, you know, run enough of them. Um, but like SCG opens in Richmond, if you looked at those attendance numbers, you know, were historically some of the lowest attended on the SCG tour. <laughs> I, I remember playing opens there that were only 450, 500 people in an era where most of them were getting seven, eight, nine hundred. Um, so 
which is strange to me. Obviously, like you know, they they probably got dinged some because of the the weather over the weekend, uh, which you know wasn't as bad as it was forecasted at sometimes. Um, but I'm sure that you know kept some people away. But not. I know you some know, Florida players really had difficulty getting in and out of their state. So. Yeah, that that too. So, but that, like that's not making it a 400 person difference. And um, and then you know why is it why is it our job as the players to be concerned with the poor decisions that the tos make? Like no nobody expects that if if they had posted a prize support where like they needed you know 400 people to break even and they got 600. Nobody would expect them to increase the price support by fifty percent. <laughs> like so that 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 relationship that expectation doesn't go both ways. And so like, I one hundred percent agree with you there. And like I see it from from both ends. I see it from a player's end where I'm just like, pay out your prize pool that you say you're yeah. gonna pay out. Like that's it's absurd not to right. Like um you know I see I see examples of this all the time at certain things. Like even at the local level, you know I used to have a problem with uh one of my one of my LGSs where. Uh, the store would, you know, give out some kind of cool prize or they'd give out cash prizes or whatever, you know, hey, this is a $300 tournament, you know, which for us locally, if we get a three to $500 tournament, that's really good because, you know, we only get like, you know, 20 to 30 people, right? You know, maybe 15 sometimes for these events. But like the owner used to like play in the events and would like compete in them and wherever he finished, that prize just like didn't happen. You know, there's times where he would, like, make top eight or, like, get really deep in the tournament. Remember, once he, like, got to the finals, and I think, the, like, he made the person, like, play it out or whatever. And so I was just like, what happens if you win? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, like, the majority of the prize pool is goes to the winner. So, like, if it was a guaranteed $300 tournament and you win, you technically only paid out $100. And so everyone here came to this tournament under false pretense and, like, paid a higher entry fee than, like, you know, the normal, like, 5 or 10 bucks. You know, we paid, like, 30 instead. So now you're just like raking us, you know, like yeah. now you're just like taking a lot extra. And it's like, I think it's really uncool for you to do that because like you're not actually paying out your prize pool that you said. And they just like could not wrap their head around it or just like chose not to, which I think it's a little bit of both. And then, you know, I see the other end. Um, recently, there was a flesh and blood tournament that happened in Ohio and it was out in the middle of nowhere, but they announced like, uh, I think it was like a guaranteed like 10 or 20K with like another decent sized event on the Sunday attached to it. And they got destroyed on attendance, like way worse than anybody thought or whatever. And I remember talking to the guy, and I'm like, what are you going to do? And he's like, what do you mean? We don't have a choice. We're, we're paying out or, you know, we're just paying out like, every, you know, we're paying out the whole, the whole amount and they just got destroyed. Right. Yeah. And like. I get it. A lot of people are arguing on Twitter, like, what do you expect these these small organizations are right to just eat the, you know, eat the amount of whatever, like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, again, I'm not trying to say the business has to kill itself to, like, do this stuff. But, like, there are certain things that need to be, like, said or done here when you when you post something like this. Like, you understand the risk that comes along with it. Like, uh, Fire Shoes was tweeting about this, and he did apologize about how aggressive he was about it afterwards. But... Um, you know, he tweeted about like, what was the, uh, where was the event with SCG Con recently where their numbers were horrible? They got like a hundred people. Columbus. Columbus. Columbus yeah. <laughs> and like SCG, like I very much, you know, there's part of me that expects them half the time to be like, LOL, uh, JK, our prize pool is different. But like they, I don't think that was ever actually a, a decision they were going to make or, or entertain. And like, they didn't do it. And so like, when you do this, yeah, like. It's about a lot of things. So if if you literally can't survive this happening, a you shouldn't have run the tournament to begin with. Yeah. B like yeah, I get doing this to survive, but I actually think this hurts you more in the long run 
than it does in the short term. Like, hey, yeah, we may have lost like a little bit less money, which I mean, they still took in a lot of money, but I didn't love their announcement. Their announcement put all of the emphasis on everyone else. Like, hey, y'all didn't show up and we provided you with this great service, but y'all didn't show up. So we're we're changing the price pools a lot of the way it came off. You know, they said things along the lines of, we gave you a great venue with an with an exceptionally good judge staff and and coverage. So that's putting the blame on a the players for not showing up, b them for doing the bare minimum of having a good judge staff and paying the people that were there. Which I don't know what their rates were, but you know, there's been a lot of discussions about the rates are usually too low for judges and stuff. Anyway, recently, and having actual judges at the event is like that's a non-starter. Like you just have to have a good judge staff. Yeah. And then three, like yeah, I get it, and like. This is where it's going to get uh, like a little a little uh, delicate for me because because I'm a coverage guy. You didn't have to do coverage, you know. You didn't have to pay these people. Coverage costs a ton of money to do, no matter how you do it. Like cutting as many corners as you possibly can. Like I know uh, Anurag like helps make things extremely cheap. The guy's just a freaking wizard, right? In all instances of the word. And the people doing the coverage were great. I actually watched quite a bit of the coverage this weekend. I enjoyed it. I thought it was awesome. But if you're going to put that kind of burden on yourself of doing the coverage for it, you need to understand that there's a sunk cost here. And you can't levy that onto the players. You can't levy that onto the people who are actually there supporting your event. Because here's the thing. Coverage is kind of a pipe dream in a lot of ways. It does not give you back what you think it does. Unless you're like a huge organization. Like obviously SCG got a lot out of it. Wizards gets a decent bit out of it. You know, Flesh and Blood gets a decent bit out of it. Right. And apparently SCG didn't even get enough out of it if they're not right. you know, continuing that's, to do it. That's the point, right? You know, at some point they found something was problematic enough somewhere. Something was enough in the red. Pete is a very shrewd businessman. If something is not working, he does not, he trims the fat immediately. Right. Like just immediately cuts that part off. Right. And so that's where I have the problem. I, to the letter of the law, to the letter of everything, if you get down to it, like this would never hold up in court. You would never be able to win a, a thing against them because they technically paid out what they, they guaranteed they'd pay out while it was worded differently, right? Yeah. I just think the 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 visuals of this, like the metrics of it are pretty bad, look pretty bad overall, and point the blame somewhere where it shouldn't be pointed. It The, the whole conversation should have started with, this is on us. We should be better in the future with this kind of stuff instead of just like, we'll try to be better in the future about this thing. Because you're admitting that you did wrong, but you're still throwing the blame to other places and putting the blame. You know what I mean? You're just making excuses. Like, yeah. Like, just, just straight up be like, look, we expected more people. We're, we're taking a bath in some way here or there. Yeah, because some people would say, oh, they still took in way more than they paid out. Stuff, you know, the venue costs a lot. The judges cost a lot. Like, actually running the event costs yeah. a ton. Like, they I'm probably sure they lost, lost money. I'm sure they lost money. Because they yeah. were expecting, you know, 300 more people for Legacy at $115 a pop. So they were expecting another 30-something thousand dollars in revenue there. And then another 150-something at $60 a pop. Uh, probably really more like 160-something. So that's another $10,000. So they were expecting $40,000 in revenue. And I don't think they were they were expecting to make a forty thousand dollar profit on that. But so if I you just, break even, I think you're you're feeling good about the whole event because it pushes to the next one, right? Like that yeah. that's the dream. It's like hey, if you make money, that's great. But let's try to break even, and then the next one will be bigger, and then we can get like you know we can do this more often. More vendors will show up because like you know I think they only have one vendor at this, and that's usually like pretty expensive. But maybe that's a thing. You know, exclusivity is a uh, is a big deal for the yeah, vendor maybe. possibly as well. And, and you know maybe it was about space, and they they you know. 
didn't have as much space for vendors because they had a ton of space devoted to tables, thinking they were getting going to hit these big attendance marks. Um, but like, I, I I just it still comes back to me of like why are why are we sympathizing with you know the people who have made their bed and the uh, over the people that like very clearly were set up with a certain expectation that wasn't met. Yeah, people traveled to this, like bought plane yeah. tickets, hotel rooms, and like, you know, and that's the other thing too, is like players are willing to accept a loss, right? Like, you know, we go into these tournaments knowing we're not going to make a lot of money unless we like spike it, right? Like if you make like top four, like you'll make some money, right? If you top eight and finish an eighth, like there's a chance you're still not making a ton of money on the trip. And like, that's part of the thing that you've, that you've, um, what's the word, like baked in, right? Like, you, you know, like what, what this is, right? You know, we didn't play magic to get rich. Like you, you and I are not rich in, by any stretch of imaginations, and we've had very good careers, you know, and we have supplemental income along with this. But why are we a understanding of that and willing to to have it happen? And just yeah, that's just part of the deal. When we don't have the same thought for the people running the tournament, and we think, oh, it's just okay if if they renege on the deal. Like, why is it? Why is this you know contract that we're signing into by playing the tournament only one way? That's the question I have, and that's where I have a problem. And and then I saw the line of thought that like you know, you know, we're as players apparently like we're not supposed to expect to make money off of tournaments, and like we you know attend these tournaments to have a great community and support legacy as this underserved format, and like somehow Leg- legacy pit is the one like doing a a good deed by hosting this tournament. It's like well, they're really were hosting this tournament to try to make a profit. That's why anyone hosts any tournament, right? And this, was, this wasn't just out of the good of your heart. Yeah, like, don't don't hit me with that. Like, so so why do they get to do that unquestioned, and we don't get get to have any expectation of you know potentially making decent money or at least making our money back and effectively turning our trip into a you know a free or heavily subsidized vacation? Yeah, and vacation is definitely in quotes too. Like, play the game, see the world is is really play the game, see a convention center, a different convention center. Yeah, every and, and the and the three square blocks that immediately surround it. <laughs> yeah, here's the here's the five restaurants you can eat at. Yeah. Figure it but, out. Fortunately, I like Richmond because it has a great area around the convention center. So sure, sure. Um, do you think that's about enough for the for the pit thing? We can get into the other stuff for today, or did you have anything else you wanted to add? For um, no, because I, I think it ends up leading into the, you know a lot of the same issues that we're talking about today. Where like for some reason people's you know sympathies are just completely misplaced, and I I don't understand it, and it frustrates and angers me. Yeah, let me find the uh, the like litany of tweets. I accidentally refreshed my page. I had like a whole thing up. Do, do you want to do the the easy part of this and just talk about the previews first? Yeah, let's do the, let's talk about the previews first. I have that pulled up, and I can look through some. So we do have technically uh, three, but really two preview cards got revealed today for Brothers War. And it's another big melt card. So I'm gonna yeah. go ahead and read this off real quick for everybody at home. We get Mishra this time. So this is Mishra claimed by Gix. I haven't actually seen any of these cards yet, so I'm, I'm excited. I've been like waiting to reveal it for myself. So it's two black and red for a legendary creature. It's a Phyrexian human artificer. It's a three five. Um, it says when you attack, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the number of attacking creatures. If this creature and a creature named Phyrexian Dragon Engine are attacking, and you both own and control them, exile them, meld them, blah, 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 right? It enters the battlefield tapped and attacking. So, like, if you attack both at the same time, they just meld and they just, they, they transform her. They, they, uh, power ranger into, into the big thing. Yeah. So the other one is the Phyrexian Dragon Engines. Three mana, 
uh, colorless mana for an artifact creature. It's a Phyrexian Dragon. It's a 2-2. It has double strike. It says, when it enters the battlefield from your graveyard, you may discard your hand. If you do, draw three cards. And has unearth three red-red. This this card is real. Like, this card this card seems pretty sweet. Now, what does it meld into? That's that's the big thing, right? Like, what's the payoff, Ross? Yeah. Um, it turns into Mishra Lost to Phyrexia. It's a 9-9 legendary artifact creature, Phyrexian Artificer. When this enters the battlefield or attacks, choose three, Ross. And there's there's a lot of cool things here. I'm, I'm hoping. I haven't read it yet. Target opponent discards two cards. Mishra deals three damage to any target. Destroy target artifact or planeswalker. Creatures you control gain menace and trample until end of turn. Creatures you don't control get minus one and minus one until end of turn. And create two tapped power stone tokens. This seems pretty damn powerful overall, Ross. I am a little worried about Mishra by itself. Phyrexian Dragonage, on the other hand, I can see this one like being fine because it has like a really cool ability attached to it with unearth yeah and and somewhat reasonable stats i know uh in cost uh, yeah i was watching spike stream this morning and, and when he heard it he, he noted that it plays nicely with unearth in modern mm-hmm. yep you can just unearth it get the trigger to discard draw three uh so maybe there, there's something cool to do there notably just like urza pairs with his art meld artifact and curves nicely with it um, Mishra does too, where you can play the Dragon Engine on three, play the Mishra on four, and even if they can kill the Dragon Engine, you can unearth it on five, attack with it, and meld. Um, you know, obviously, if they kill the Mishra, you're you're out of luck. But um, presumably, that's a little harder because Mishra is a little bit bigger. I do think that the Dragon Engine is the better of the two, uh, and so it's a question of you know, can we put Mishra on our deck and reasonably expect it to be good enough that it's worth the you know, a few times that you get the meld off. Um, now, that said, it's not like Mishra is, uh, you know, a bad card because, I, and I had to read it a second time to make sure, it doesn't have to attack itself to get that trigger, so it does function like a Hellrider, just without haste. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a pretty powerful effect in a go-wide aggro deck, which would also be, you know, a perfectly fine home for the Phyrexian Dragon Engine. Um, so I like that they both sort of go into a similar style of deck. Um, you're not fighting yourself to try to get the internal synergy between the two cards on a, at least fighting yourself on a, on a strategic level. To me, I think that, that this pair seems better than the Urza pair because I, I think of the four individual cards, Urza is clearly the worst one. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I gotta agree with you with everything there. Yeah. So, uh, I'm... I'm more excited for this one. You know, maybe there's you know a sort of aggro deck that works now because you know right now aggro and standard is struggling, <laughs> and uh, you know the the there the midrange decks have really good mana and really good cheap interaction and cheap cards that generate card advantage, and that is a trifecta that is very punishing towards aggressive decks. And usually when that happens, you need aggressive decks that can go over the top. You know, things with like Thunder Hulkite kind of cards, standalone threats that can dominate. And, uh, you know, the, the meld synergy is a potential way to go over the top in, in that aspect. Um, and Unearth is also a mechanic that plays well against spot removal. So uh, I think Mishra has, has some potential and the pair, but certainly the, you know, in both cases, I guess, in these two, it's the artifact that's the star of the show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to the big announcement from today. We're going to take this part by part. And we'll get into the big stuff towards the end. And I have a little build up for it to Ross to kind of like maybe even 
stoke the flame just a little bit more from you there. But so a lot of the the promotional stuff for Magic 30 got announced today. We're gonna get even more as we go on. But I'm gonna read through a huge list of stuff that's going on here. So this is gonna get a little tedious for you, Ross at home, but people at home probably are gonna like this. So there's a million promos coming out with this. Uh, with Dominator United, you're going to get uh, Sarah Angel Ball Lightning, and I believe that's Finhorn Elves. It's in another language. That's Finhorn Elves. And then with uh, the Brothers War, you're going to get stuff. Each one of these represents a year. And so you're going to get like 1996, you're going to get Wall of Ruth. 97, you're getting Wood Elves. 98, you're getting Windfall. And 99, you're getting uh, Simplified Chinese Loyal Retainers. So that's a cool reprint. Uh, the Phyrexia All will be one. We'll get uh, 2000, which will be Core Haven. 2001, which will be an Italian Vindicate. 2002 will be Exalted Angel. 2003 will be Temple of the Gods. Um, and it keeps going from here. Let me f- scroll down. So, and then the next one will be March of the Machine. And these are the promos for that. It'll be 2004 will be Eternal Witness. 2005 is A Portuguese Court of Calling. And 2006 is A niv at the Firemind. Also, a lot of these are having alternate art, which is really cool. A lot of them, not all of them. And some art that I've never seen before. Uh, the Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle-Earth promos. We're going to get 2007. It's going to be a Japanese Future Sight Termogoyf. That's a pretty cool one, too. It's at the Future Sight border. 2008 is going to be Glenlandra Archmage. 2009 is going to be Acidic Slime. 2010 is going to be Terrestidon. Uh For Wilds of Eldraine promo, um, I'm assuming these are like, uh, what do you call it, secret layers or something of, of these sets? Uh, I'll say 11 is going to be a French Hornet Queen. 12 is Harvester of Souls. 13 is a Spanish uh, Colonian Hydra. 14 is Goblin Rabble Master. Uh, this will be in the Lost Caverns of Ixalan when we return to there. 2015 will be Dragonlord Atarka. Then 16 will be Dramatic Reversal. 17, Path of Ancestry. 18, Beast Whisperer. And then this one is Codename Polo, because we don't know what this is going to be yet. Uh, 2019 will be Dovin's Veto. 2020 is Veto, Thorn, and the Dusk Rose. 2021 will be Deadly Dispute. In 2022, we don't know yet. They're not actually showing us. And then they showed the promos for the, uh, what is it, like RCQs and stuff. The stuff like, if you're playing to get on the Pro Tour, you can play for these. These are actually really, really cool. Uh, these promos, it's all blue cards. And, and they're all foil and they have alternate art. It's uh, Mystical Dispute, Thing in the Ice, Slash Oaken Horror, and Snapcaster Mage is going to be happening. I'm, I'm assuming Snapcaster Mage is going to be the one you get for winning, possibly. I, so that it said that, they said on the stream that it's, those are from left to right, you know, uh, what you get at different levels. So I'm guessing Mystical Dispute is like the participation at an RCQ. Yeah. Top eighting and winning is Thing in the Ice. And then I bet Snapcaster will be like the RC promo. Yeah, like at the event. Sure. Yeah. Um, Dominator Remastered is going to come out. It's going to be a draftable set. And it's going to have some cards in it from Dominaria's history. Uh, it, they showed a counterspell. They showed Birds of Paradise with three different arts. They have like a normal art a retro frame, and then a full art, like, extended border that has alternate art. Same thing for Jester's Cap has been shown. Um, and then they're saying they give you a good look at what you'd expect for some other sets that would be going to go on in the, in the future as well. Uh, like, there's just so much going on here. So one of the other ones that they're showing that has normal, retro, and full art, full art extended art, alternate art, Time Stretch... Uh, we're seeing Tatiova, the Druid, uh, Sneak Attack. Uh, I'm seeing New Border and Old Border, or Retro, I'm sorry. And uh, one of the Swords of Plowshares is getting redone too. Also announced is Shadow over Innistrad is going to get a remaster in the first half of 2023. And there's going to be another Explorer anthology uh, as well later in that year. 
And then there's going to be some kind of thing that's called a countdown kit available uh, via Magic Secret Lair. It's 30 cards coming out in time for the holidays. So I'm assuming that's like soon. Uh, so you see, they're only showing you seven of the 30 so far, but pre-orders start November 1st. And the four cards they've shown so far with alternate art on all of these and crazy art. I know you particularly hate one of them, if I remember right. Uh, there's Necropotence, Chromox, Bloodbright Elf, Birthing Pod. Uh, what is this one? Elspeth Sun's Champion, which has like the old school Planeswalker, you know, thing. Like when they yeah. make it for like the original stuff. Nicobolus God Pharaoh and Shark Typhoon has been shown. Yeah, those are part of a product that's being released in on December 1st or November 28th, something like that, before the holidays. And it comes in at like a, a 30 pack and they're all individually sealed. So you can open one a day. If you want to do like an ad, basically like a magic advent calendar um, for the holidays, or you can just rip them all open. They have promised that those seven that have been revealed are the only ones they're going to reveal during promotion. So the other 23 will be a surprise, you know, so people can be surprised by all of them. And they're, you know, calling back all different frames that they've done through secret layers and stuff. You know, Shark Typhoon has the, the Kaiju kind of thing with the, the Sharknado frame. And I'm sure the other ones are callbacks to a bunch of different things. They've got a retro frame. They've got the like, you know, beta treatment, like you said, for Elspeth Sun's champion. You know, it doesn't list the loyalty in the corner like most planeswalkers. It's, all the abilities are written out. That one is awkward because it's impossible to read because it's all white text on a white card. <laughs> it's yeah. just literally impossible. I had to like squint at my screen to figure out what it was. I have a different viewing of it with a white background and it actually made it better. Yeah. It was, I, I literally had to like, you know, put my eyes an inch from my laptop screen and squint to me like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, um, and, yeah, exactly. So this this is all crazy stuff. And there was one more promo thing announced, and that's the big one. And if you know what we're getting at, you know what I'm talking about. Or you can just Ross. But Ross, before we do this, I, uh, I I found a little something from 2017 that I wanted to read you from Blogatog. Do you remember this? Do you remember Blogatog? Vaguely. It's Mark Rosewater's blog where he answers questions about. Oh, I've I've seen I've seen this. The, okay. We're not interested so, in. Hold on, hold on. Don't don't. Yeah. I'm going to read it for everybody. Okay. Okay. So, the question was asked: If you if we're making a cube product, and I think a clearly labeled non legal version of powered cards that you can't reprint in black border or as gold border cards, would it be nice or maybe host something like you make the cube on the website and release a product like the anthology series with some of the results? You know, from the vault cubes would be fun. Like blah blah. blah. So they're asking. You know, is there a way that we can, like, do some of these cards that can't be reprinted? Can we reprint them in, like, a special way? And there was a very, very simple answer from him. He says, we are unwilling to reprint reserves of cards at normal card size, regardless of border or back. Cue the meme. Well, that was a fucking lie. <laughs> when was that posted? Does it, does it... 2017. 17? So it's before the new CEOs got a hold of this yeah. stuff. And, like, you know, profits were, were generated over everything. So, um, yeah, the Magic 30th Anniversary 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 uh, Anniversary Edition uh, got announced today. So, what this is is it's a box, okay, that has four boosters in it, and it's going to pretty much be packs of beta is like what they're kind of uh, pushing it on. And each display of the 30th anniversary will contain four packs of pure nostalgia reimagined in a modern context. Each pack will contain 15 cards, 13 cards in the modern frame, one rare, three uncommon, seven commons, two basic lands, plus one basic land and a retro frame, and one additional retro frame card and a token. So, um, 
here's the big part. I'm going to tell everybody what can be involved in these. And they upped the... So, for one, dual lands are in here. Like, literal, actual volcanic island will be in this. With The, the with, dual lands are also twice as common as every other rare. Yeah, there, there are two of each dual land on every rare sheet instead of, as opposed to one of every other rare. Yeah, so some of the cards that I'm seeing here that are rare, so, you know, I've seen Volcanic Island, Channel, Icy Manipulator, Hypnotic Specter, uh, Veteran Bodyguard, you know. It, it's, it's this is just beta. It's just beta. So yeah. you may be thinking, wait a minute, well, isn't there some very important cards in the set? Yeah, Mox Sapphire is in this. Yeah, Time Walk is in this. Black Lotus is in this. Mox Jet is in this. So the Power Nine are in these packs. So you get four packs of these, Ross. Do you know how much they are a pack? Well, you buy four of them for $999. Okay, so the retail price for this is $1,000, Ross. It's a pack of it's a pack of uh it's a it's, it's a pack of proxies, Ross. How much could it cost? $10? Yeah. You know. Um so this will be $1,000 for this product. I think that price point is utterly absurd. I think this whole idea of this thing is pretty absurd and kind of crazy to me. I think it will sell out in five minutes. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I wonder if they, if somebody will try to bring like legal action based on the reserve list because of it. I assume that, you know, what, you know, Watsi has done their legal homework. Um, I also just don't think it's going to, you know, make a huge impact on the, you know, price of the, you know, of the Power Nine because they're not tournament legal. And, you know, maybe it makes some impact on the price of like collector edition power uh and collector edition stuff um but like not not a huge impact there because again you know the the supplies of those are so low and the supplies of this are going to be kept very low um so um but uh, you know expanding access to cards like this that people use in their cubes and commander decks you know obviously makes sense in terms of just making that the game more accessible but then and so i think i i shared that thought initially as they're talking about this what you know through the stream and thinking oh they're like that's good and then they announced 999 dollars as the retail price and we all just you know i think you know scoff simultaneously you know almost do a spit take if if i was you know having a drink and realize that like okay so this doesn't actually make the game more accessible at all it just you know a lot like it makes the game more accessible for a very narrow band of players Players who have, you know, this high level of disposable income, but not quite enough disposable income to afford a set of, like, unlimited power, right? And, you know, I'm not well-versed enough to know exact, to have an idea of where the individual prices will settle of, you know, how much a Lotus of this set will will sell for. Because they're gold border, they also have a different back. The back has has black Lotus art on it. Yeah. Uh, for all of the cards, like you yeah, know, how much are not legal, which is important, right? Yeah, they're not tournament legal. None of the cards are, including the, the basic lands. But you know, maybe you you know, obviously like beta and alpha basics have gone way up, and and it's the art from those. So if you like those arts, maybe the basic lands are cheaper. There's there's like I think one old frame basic. It, it there's two old frame cards in each pack, and one of them's a basic, and the and um the other is like thirty percent to be a rare. And they didn't break it down past that, but it could, could so, be a common or uncommon real, too. Real, real quick, let me let me let me add to that because I started reading more of the article. It says nearly every 30th edition anniversary edition card includes matches the rarity of its counterpart in limited edition beta. There are no mythic rares, and no rarities have been shifted. These cards do, however, have modern wording 
in modern corners. We slightly touched with the art on some of them. Now, they said that no rarities have been shifted, and then immediately they're like, well, the only card to match its original rarity uh, that doesn't match its original rarity is a special add-on for 30th edition. It's Soul Ring. So, apparently, Soul Ring, uh, they created a new crop of original art that will appear at common rarity in both modern and retro frames. Soul Ring also appears at uncommon. So... That means there's a common and an uncommon soul ring, and I yeah. think there's going to be original. There's a million soul rings because it goes yeah. in every commander deck. They know, yeah. you know, people need fucking soul rings. So, but it's not that they're like nothing was shifted, and immediately the next paragraphs. Oh, by the way, we shifted rarity on this card. <laughs> yeah, except for this one. Um, but the so you know obviously like, it's easy to just laugh at them. You know, pushing out another you know incredibly expensive you know luxury product for their luxury game. Um, and, you know, when this could have been an opportunity to actually make the game more accessible, uh, you know, at the commander and and cube levels, which are now, you know, the most popular ways that people are, are engaging with the game and playing magic. Um, but, you know, instead that, instead of doing that, that they opt to make it, you know, they have opted to once again, you know, maximize their own profits because the, you know this is a you're you're getting four 15 card packs in for the year thousand dollars so we're talking about 250 dollars a pack that costs them you know pennies to print obviously they have to you know commission art and and design the set the, the tokens that are in the packs come with artwork that is evocative of other cards from alpha beta like they should they showed a a a wizard token with fast bond art and they showed like a soldier token with with some art uh from from another card that that's well known so there's like cool tokens too um but you know it's this is you know sort of just the most egregious in a long line of these products right from secret layers to you know even tournament legal uh you know products like modern horizons and modern masters where uh, you know the the prices of boxes and product is is very high, um, and it, you know obviously like you know Watsi took a lot of criticism, but uh, much of it from me, <laughs> uh, but it's certainly not all. And there there's a lot to unpack here. I think that that maybe is obvious. I don't know if it, if it's obvious to everyone else. Um, but things I've you know thought about for years now, um, and one of the reasons that I, I was heated earlier today is that I think all the ways that that these kinds of things get justified are kind of nonsense, or maybe not the way that these are justified, but the way that criticism gets um, you know sort of re-criticized in order to downplay it and make the criticism itself seem unreasonable. Um, and you know, this boils initially back to something I talked about on last week's episode, which is the you know let people like things mantra. There, I also saw plenty of people just saying, "Well, just ignore it and don't buy it if you don't want to." So you know, if you don't buy it, it doesn't affect you at all. And and then you know, this idea that you know, of course, magic is a luxury game; They're, it's going to be expensive. Like that's just the way it is. And I vehemently disagree with all of these things. At least it. In terms of like that, this needs to be the reality. I agree that in some, you know, to a large extent, it is. Magic is an expensive game, um, 
but I certainly disagree with the, you know, if you don't buy it, it doesn't affect you. This is this is not just a one-off independent thing. You know, no, this none of these none of these decisions that Watsi makes happen in a vacuum. This is emblematic of the shift over the last five years in the way Watsi views magic and the way they're marketing magic and the way they're making money off of, of or the way they're monetizing magic and the shift away from compet- the competitive side of things and towards the casual side of things. And, you know, it, and that means fewer resources go into the, you know, flagship products that make a huge impact on competitive formats. I don't think it's any coincidence that the last five years have seen an absurd number of cards banned across every competitive format when bans were a, a rare thing post Urza's Saga, we'll say. Like, between Urza's Saga and Kaladesh, you know how many cards were banned in standard? It was like eight, but five of them were the artifact lands, right? I, I think, I think they, they banned eight total cards from Affinity right at the end of Affinity's reign in a sort of futile effort to give us two months to maybe explore that format. And then they banned Stoneforge Mystic and Jace. And that was it. Like, there were two instances, there were only two ban announcements where a thing, um, oh, it was, uh, sorry, Skullclamp was separate from the other Affinity cards. Uh, so th- three instances. There was basically just Affinity and Callblade, you know, in our collective memories of standard decks that got bannings. Now, you could argue that, like, there were, uh, you know, decks that could have gotten a ban, whether it was Alara Jund or Fairies or Glorin Block, uh, things like that. I think those cards from them would be banned now, based on the numbers they're showing, but it's a, uh, there's a significant change in philosophy. But I think that change in philosophy of the ban list has to do with the fact that Watsi knows they're not putting as much time in developing these sets and making sure that the formats are like, you know, aren't going to be busted. They, they're just now, you know, using the, the ban list as that fail safe so that they can focus on all of these other products. And I, to me, that seems pretty clear. Maybe I'm wrong, you know, like, but yeah, no, I mean, this is your opinion. You you really can't be wrong. Well, it's, it's my, my speculation as to what sure. is causing this. So uh, it certainly can be wrong, but uh, I, it just I seems your, your premise, but sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It just seems, it just, you know, seems to make sense to me. Um, and I think it's, you know, I remember the time after the college bannings when people were, you know, uh, clamoring for them to work more with the pro players. And they like hired a bunch of people and called it the new, like play design team or whatever. And I, I'm pretty sure those people just got put to work on other things. <laughs> yeah, so that- I know. I, I'm, again, I'm not trying to like hate on Watsi here, but I know like when that happened, that a lot of people were hired believing one thing was going to happen when they go to Watsi and like you know one thing would happen to their careers, and then that didn't work out. Like I know I'm not going to name names, so don't throw anybody under the bus here. But I know one particular player went there expecting like, hey, you know, I got hired to do like magic stuff, and then they ended up I think leaving at one point. And I asked them about it, and they were like, yeah, they like made me. He's like, I had to work on like transformers instead of like magic, and then like that's not. I mean, he's you know he was fine with it. He's like, it's it's my job, but at the same time, like I I came here to to do magic stuff. Like I was hired to, to, to do magic, you know, and like yeah. instead I'm doing other stuff and, and and stuff like that. So like you know, there's part of me that that's weird about it, and like again, you know, I'm I'm a little softer on the let people enjoy things than you are, you know, and I appreciate your your stance on it, which is completely fine. Now I, I'm. I, you know, maybe I've gone a little too hard about it 
you know, in, in stating my, my position there, but like my, my issue is that it's not that like, you know, people enjoy the different card frames or foils or whatever that's, that bothers me. It's that the, there's so much focus on all of these premium products now that there's less focus on the, the, you know, core products that are very important towards the things that I enjoy about the game. And I think that affect the game that they, they affect every aspect of the game. So th those are things that I think should be prioritized for the benefit of everyone. And instead, we're prioritizing all of these, uh, you know, premium products because they have such a high profit margin. And it's not like you're ever going to run into one of those premium products that no one likes. Like, they're not going to make those. They're just going to cross over Magic with a bunch of different popular IPs like they've been doing and are continuing to do. And there's always going to be some section of the Magic community that's like, oh, I like Assassin's Creed. Oh, I like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, I like Kaiju Monsters. And they're going to gravitate towards it. So you're always going to find some section that can say, I, en I enjoy this. Why are you hating on this? So it's not about hating on, on any individual one of them. It's the proliferation of them that's the problem. So I heard you mention Kaiju Monsters. Does that mean that you watched uh, Pacific Rim? No, I just know, I know, I Please. actually didn't know what the term Kaiju was yeah, until yeah, Akoria came out. That's when I learned that, Tannen. I also, I think I learned it watching Pacific Rim, but I, I want you to do something for me. Uh, some of my favorite tweets of all time from you, you don't have to do this on Twitter, you do whatever you want, but some of my favorite tweets all time for you, I think you know where I'm going with this, were when you were watching, uh, what was it, the la the last Star Wars movie that yeah. came out? The, the, the third I, was, movie I live tweeted it in the theater because I was the only person in the theater that night. I, I saw that movie like three weeks after everyone else did. Yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. I want you to watch Pacific Rim. I want <laughs> you to live tweet while you're doing it. I will literally donate, do whatever I have to do to make this a real thing. And I'm sure other people will be part of this. I'm sure we'll get some responses in the Discord because I got multiple people messaging me that like this was one of the funniest things they've ever heard of the show. So we were talking about this and some of the other stuff. So uh, I'd like to do that. And then B, real quick, I did just see that uh, after the announcement today for the magic 30 stuff that the stock went down nine percent for hasbro lol <laughs> i don't know if it's directly affecting it you know this could be something that happened yesterday obviously like i don't know exactly how the market works you know i'm not i don't i'm not in that realm anymore but pretty funny that it went down nine percent but nine no, well that's well, eight that's 8.7 I'm, I'm rounding up that's like a, a pretty big drop isn't it yeah i think so i mean like God, I, I, like unless, you're, I, unless you're at an all-time high, then it's still like you're still yeah, crushing it. I don't know? follow things closely enough to, to have a gauge there, yeah. but like that seems like a big amount. 9%? Yeah. Yeah. So that's Now, overall, like I was trying to say earlier, again, not trying to hate on Watsy so much. Like, There's part of me that's just kind of like, what? When I read this and like saw that these cards are getting reprinted in some way, shape, or form. And I'm sure the legalese of it is like, hey, they're not legal in tournament play whatsoever. So like these aren't technically reprints or whatever, this is just, you know, proxies or whatever you want to call it. I'm okay with this item. It's just another it's just another big luxury item, collector item for people in the game that love the game, right? And to be fair, I think there's a decent shot that I buy one of these. There's a decent shot that I might buy two of them and open one of them and then keep one of them in a closet somewhere for a few years and possibly sell it back for a, pro for a profit. Because A, I'm not above doing that. You know, with the, with the way money works. And B, like, I'm not trying to say that I'm holier now and, like, above all this stuff. Like, here, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Myself and a couple of my friends, we, we talked about doing this. Um, I I pre-purchased one of the um, Warhammer 40K collector bundles, the, co the collector one. 
where you get all four of the decks fully foiled. Sure. And I purchased it at a certain price where I where I pre-purchased it. You know, I've already paid for it. It's going to ship whenever, you know, I think it's the end of the month or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure whether I'm going to keep it, sell it, or what I'm going to do with it because I'm. it's not for me. But the price on what I paid for it is almost half of what they're going for now. So, like, I've almost doubled it. So, like, I might just turn around and, and sell it immediately. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm above this stuff and that I won't take advantage of some of these situations when something like this happens because I do have a little bit of disposable income and can make these choices. Like you said, this is for people who are dis- have disposable incomes. The one thing I can say about this, of the people that are mad about this and mad about the price, A, don't interact with the product. B, it's not for you. You don't have to have this. Like, it's not like your deck isn't as good as somebody else's when they have these cards. Also, I'm completely fine if somebody wants to sleeve these cards up and play them against me in a format where they're legal. Like, you know, if, if you play a format or with your buddies, you're playing vintage and you have these cards, I wouldn't give a shit. Like, people who gatekeep over, like, the, the super expensive stuff... Because this is a product from Magic. Now, like, I kind of differ a little bit in, like, legacy events. Like, I'd be okay with these dual lands and legacy events. Like, I'm I'm okay with it, I think. Like, because at sanctioned events, maybe not. Like, big-time sanctioned events, like, if you're going to a big open, like, would you let somebody play with gold gaze cradles? Like, I personally don't really care. But, like... If they're not going to let anyone do it, then I I don't have a say in it. If you get what I'm trying to say there. As long as they're not marked in their deck, I wouldn't give I wouldn't care at yeah, all. But of exactly, course, that's right? like they're not tournament legal. That's never going to happen. So um, it's, it's never going to happen. Yeah. Because um, that to, that would certainly invite a, a reserve list lawsuit. Yeah. But to be fair, I I do think that if this is successful, and I do think it will be very successful, you will see another thing like this in the next few years. So a card like I will. just mentioned, like Gaia's Cradle, there's a chance this card gets reprinted in some way. Yeah, we'll we'll see like super foil versions and you know full arts and and you know post Malone Black Lotus like they'll do they'll do it all as long as people will buy it they will do it. It's a demand driven economy. <laughs> and so, I love so, that you uh, you just mentioned the post Malone thing because I'm I'm literally pulling it up because he retweets this every time something like this happens. Have you seen the the Brian Gottlieb tweet from 2001? 2021? Yeah. So it's, I'm just going to read the tweet for everybody at home so you can appreciate this. It's, the year is 2032. You sit down to play your first match ever on the Post Malone Pro Tour. You flip a Post Malone album. Post. You call it in the air. It comes up Post Malone. I'll pre-Malone, you say. You draw your opener. No post. I'll Malone again. It's just, it, this is actual art at its highest form. Like, yeah. this is, there has never been a more perfect tweet. This is amazing. And it gets retweeted about once or twice a year from Brian when these kinds of things happen. And I absolutely love it because it just, and I love that you brought that up because immediately I'm just like, yep, this is great. And, but it it is, so I did some thinking today and trying to to figure out exactly where the, the break happens here. And I think I have a good way of explaining it and why these kinds of things irk me so much. And it's that there really is two aspects to magic as we know it. There is magic the game, where the cards are game pieces, and we're you know trying to figure out the strategy and and decks and things like that. And then there is magic the commodity, where the the cards themselves magic are commodities the and are tradable and sellable and, and buyable, and you know based on rarity and condition and all of these other factors. And f- for the first you know several decades of magic. 
the the there was almost singular focus on magic as as the game. Now, obviously, like there were concessions to it being a trading card game and needing to create commodities with artificial scarcity. That's where you see rarity. It's where you see you know expansion of rarity into mythic rares. Eventually, introducing foil cards. Um, you know, planeswalkers as these iconic cards that would you know clearly be uh you know uh high commodities as they were for many years. You know, you remember the the times when every planeswalker was a you know like forty dollar pre uh pre sale card because of Jace uh until people you know that settled down. Um, but the 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 concessions there were somewhat minimal, and in the last five or ten years. There has been a proliferation in all of these supplemental products and premium products in order to exploit the game as a commodity. And it, it certainly seems to me like that is, you know, obviously that's a conscious choice on Watsi's part. Obviously, it's one that is raising their profits. Um, but frankly, I don't care about Watsi's bottom line. And I don't understand why everyone is so willing to just concede like okay watsi's making more money so that means it's good when we're cl- like you know, clearly there are large segments of the community that are losing out on this namely the competitive side of it um and i don't even need you know uh the you know old pro tour back where we could you know win flights and get uh you know appearance fees at pro tours and things like that you know if they could you know actually just you know have some oversight for the you know RCQs and have stores being you know having having that product roll out consistently and that, you know maybe you cut them some slack because it's season 1 hopefully those things get better but honestly like I'm not really expecting them to you know Watsi has taken a very hands-off attitude there because they're focused on other things um and and I I don't think that's going to change very much um and it's I you know, have to point towards the increased focus on you know the com- the commodification of the game as a-, a core cause in that. And yeah, no, absolutely. I think some for some reason, I think people when when we talk about magic, they they think of those two things as inseparable. Now they're obviously both a reality, but magic doesn't have like magic. The game does not n- need to be a commodity. It was obviously developed as one. It has been one for its entire life. It doesn't need, but like you could easily imagine a world where you know magic cards are affordable and there's a flat, you know, you know, like could could you imagine a you know, like sets being released and you can just pay a price to get your like playset of them and it, you know that is you know relatively low. The cards have basically no resale value and you just play tournaments. At that point, it becomes like a living card game, right? Instead of a trading card game. But the issue is, like, those games end up, like, not making you very much money. And so we all have to live in this world where we're beholden to Watsi's interests. And I agree that that is the case. But it's not going to stop me from lobbying for my own interests, even if they're at the expense of Watsi. Watsi is making record profits right now. They're making billions of dollars. So if I'm asking for a slightly larger slice of that pie, I don't think I'm being unreasonable. Yeah. And I don't understand why everyone else is so reticent to do that, too. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, one of my favorite things to come out of this, like, looking at all of it is, too? So, you know how it's going to have, like, beta, and they're going to have, like, the different back, and they're not going to be tournament legal and everything? 
But the only thing that's going to be different on the front, so like, this is my favorite part. So they talked about all these cool promos they're doing, which you talked about at the beginning of the show, and then we're doing this 30th edition pack. Birds of Paradise is in both of them, correct? Okay, so like, it's yeah, Gia, I think so. It's, in, it's, it's one of the promos. And they have a retro Birds of Paradise in it, right? So if you look at the card, the only difference on the card on the front of them is the set symbol. Right, you know, it has like thirty edition for one of them, and then the other one has the set symbol of the promo symbol, whatever that little thing is. Right, so they look exactly the same on the front. One of them comes in something that costs like ten dollars. One of them comes into a pack that costs two hundred and fifty dollars a piece. One of them is tournament legal, and the other one is not. Ross, which one do you think is the one that's tournament legal? Yeah, the one that comes in the ten dollar pack <laughs> versus the two hundred fifty dollar one. And that one, like when I sat there and someone like pointed that out, I was like that blew my mind. And, you know, I get it. It's a collector item, you know. Um, uh, also, like, a lot of the WPN stores are getting these shipped to them for free. Like, if you have a WPN, WPN store and if you're a premium one, I think you get, like, two or three of these for free. So, hopefully, like, the stores, I know some of them are just going to sell them. And, like, hey, look, that's cool. You know, make your profit. Keep the, keep the LGS, you know, uh, alive. I'm sure one of my local ones is going to keep one of them for themselves. You know, like, that's just the way they are. And look, they open, they, they own the store. They get to do whatever they want, right? But also, I hope that you get to do something cool with these, too. Can you imagine playing in a tournament where, like, this is given out? Or, like, you could enter a raffle for it? You know what I mean? Like, like give everybody a chance to, to win one for, like, less money. You know, buy a ticket for 10 bucks. Like, everybody, everybody can get one ticket or something. You know what I mean? Like, that way someone can't just, like, stack their... I don't know. Do something cool with it. You know, if you get these, you get these. And so, so people can maybe get that really want it, but don't have a thousand dollars of disposable income can maybe get this or, you know, give it out at like your RCQ when you, you know, if you're, you're going to get enough people, you know, charge the extra couple bucks and make it part of the prize or cut some of the prize and make this part of the prize. Like there's some cool stuff you can do with these as well. Um, All of those ideas have the same issues. Like they have the same issues. Yeah, thinking, yeah. Like if, if you're giving them out, then sharks are just going to, you know, go to the tournaments and, and you know, monopolize them. Like the the lottery is almost assuredly going to be you know won by a group of people that buys lots of tickets again with disposable income. Like there's there's literally no way to get out of the fact that Watsi is doing this to make profit, and so that these resources are going to be hoarded by people with disposable income. In order to, in order to make them accessible to people with lower income, Watsi would have to sacrifice profit. Yeah, they're they're not going to do that. But like yeah. And that's part of it too. Like, there's part of me that's like, that's okay. You know, like some of this is okay because like this is a collector item. You don't need this in any but, way. But it's a it's a question of degree. I, I, agreed. I I 100% agree with you. There. It's not me disagreeing with you. I am worried about the longevity of this kind of product. Where yeah, I'm sure people are gonna buy these and stash them, right? Or buy these and try to resell it for more. You know, try to sell the like. I can see people buying these and then trying to sell the packs at 300 a piece. Yeah, like and and like. I, you know, I'm not going to say I don't have product that I hope spikes. Like, I, I have product that I couldn't sell when I won it. And so I just, you know, put it in, in a sh on a shelf. And I'm like, yeah, I, I hope some, you know, random card in it spikes for some reason. And so the product, you know, goes up in value. But I hate that that exists. I understand that people will do it. Like, we have to live in the reality that we're in and make decisions based on that reality. But that doesn't mean we have to accept that reality as permanent. And it, it doesn't mean that we can we shouldn't continue to forcefully advocate for you know modifications to their reality in our interests. Like, no, hundred percent. And like, you know, there's more to it too. Like, yeah. And then there's people are going to do this, and then what happens when they do this again next year? 
or they do another MTG30 celebration because they said they're going to, and there's another shipment of these, and then another one, and they're worth less, right? And there's people that are mad about that. They're like, look, I spent a lot of money, and my cards aren't worth a lot. And it's going to be mostly the people who are trying to either invest in this product or turn it for a profit. And you get what I'm saying? Like, this just leads to so much shit. And, like, like, I'm not happy about all that. But, again, like... I don't have to interact with this if I don't want to. I'm deciding whether I want to buy one, two, or zero of these or whatever, which, let's be real, the number will probably be zero. But, like, here's, but this, the, again, the idea that this doesn't impact, you know, me as a player who is not interested in these products is nonsense. One, it's thrown in my face all the time. In order to figure out what's going on with the things I do care about, I have to, I have to hear about all of this other nonsense and wade through it. I have to watch it on coverage and, you know, try to figure out what the fuck cards are around, uh, you know, when it used to be easy. And, you know, coverage is hard enough, obviously, so why are we making it harder? It's because WotC no longer really cares about it, um, especially because most of their tournaments that they're doing coverage for are online um, and uh, and through Arena. So, you know, and they, so they could give a shit about third-party coverage and paper coverage. And uh, then, I, you know, I have to deal with the fact that I know Watsi is giving me a worse product so that they can continue to design, develop, and produce these luxury goods that make them, you know, significantly more money. So, like, they do, they do affect me. I can't ignore them. No, I, that's not me saying to ignore them. It's really not. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think you should. I think if you, if you like... Obviously, I'm not going to buy them. Yeah, I think if you like a product and you're, like, super into it in some way, shape, or form... While parts of it might not affect you, like, it's perfectly fine for you to understand what's going on, see the other stuff. You know, there's a lot of people like, hey, if you don't want this product, don't interact with it. I'm like, yeah, but I can still look at it, hear about it, have to interact with it in some other shape or form. This will affect me in some way, shape, or form, all right? Because I'm a part of this body, too, right? Like, yeah. Magic's one cohesive unit, even though yeah, it's well, fractioned well, off. These things these don't exist in isolation. Yeah, exactly. It's a dialectical world. There's always a push and pull. And so, like, when all this stuff goes on, you know, the constructed players, the competitive players are losing out in some way, shape, or form. And you've seen that slowly over the last, what, about seven years now? Yeah. Where, you know, stuff's toned down a lot, like, et cetera. We'll see what happens next year. You know, I've got some hopes for the... I'm not the biggest fan of their RCQ system, but we'll see what happens with RCQs I, and, you know... The I RCQ think, in theory, the RCQ, RC system is really good. But that there have obviously been significant issues in execution especially That's at the problem. local level. That's and it's mainly due to Watsi taking such a hands-off attitude and not enforcing any sort of quality control um, and, and not really taking responsibility for that and just foisting it on onto local stores that are unprepared or unwilling to run tournaments of yeah. a reasonable standard. I think it's a good way to put it. They're either unprepared or they're bad faith actors. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they, they come in with like, hey, I'm just going to literally... It's, it's like the people that buy these products to either hoard them or flip them immediately. Yeah. In, but do it with literally everything. It's like profit over everything, and I have to, I have a problem with that. And it's that, like you you have a small, at least a small little bit of stuff that you owe the competitive player that's coming to yeah. you. And and now I will say that one thing: if you you know if anyone has noticed, like I haven't laid into Watsi about the RCQs the way some other people have, because I think it takes it's going to take a couple seasons yeah, in order to right. see what their response is to stores running bad tournaments. Like how much you know? Uh, I'm I would be okay with stores getting a second chance, but like there needs to be consequences if things are consistent or re problems are reoccurring at specific stores and problems are reported to them. So like you know, part of it you know of the 
of the whole deal of the, of the whole picture in the, in for this specific issue is how does Watsy respond? So you do you know have to give them a chance to respond before you start levying criticism, and I, I'm willing to do that uh, in, in this yeah, case. I think that's I think that's a really good way for you to think about it because I think it's a really good point in the fact that you know Watsy gave us what we wanted, right? A lot of people were been clamoring for the last years. Give us a OP system. Give us an OP system. So they put one in place where all right, here's what we can do. This is what we can give you right now. And we're going to put a lot of onus on, you know, stores and people at the local level to help prop this up from the bottom. And then we'll take care of the top end, right? You know, y'all hold up this end and they can't micromanage every store right now. Give them time. There's a lot going on. You know, they have 17 products to push every day. So there's a lot of, you know, uh, manpower or sorry, person power and employee power going into that. Uh, There's a lot going on there. So I think overall it's been successful i don't want to say it's been a success but it's been successful overall we'll see what happens at the actual events like i said there's a decent chance that i'm going to be in atlanta you're going to be there um any of the fans of the show anybody the show is going to be there you make sure you come up and talk to us and stuff but like you know we'll see what capacity what capacity i'm there in again stuff's still in the works we'll, we'll see what happens i don't want to say anything before it happens but um yeah and like that, that's always the big thing for me right you know, I've, I've done this with Fab as well. You know, they came out of the gate screaming and crushing it and doing everything right. And I haven't been critical of them lately, but there's been some stuff where I'm like, I feel like we could do more here or be better here. And I think that we can do the same thing with Watsi independently of other things. Like, yeah, you know, you might not be a big fan of the announcement today and what was going on. You might not be a big fan of this product, but, you know, you and I have talked about this with the RCQ system. I think overall it's been pretty decent. And, like, I've been a fan of their... like. There's been way more people playing competitive magic at my LGS in the last few months than there ever has been before. In fact, my LGS just started doing standard events and people are showing up and playing in it. And I think that's that's not something I expected to ever happen again. I actually thought standard was fully freaking dead. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, hopefully organized play continues to grow back, you know, from the... Because I'll play. I mean, I, yeah. I really want to, yeah. Uh, from the, the sort of nadir that, that it was in, and it really goes to show that the this really is driven from the bottom. This idea that you know we have to be grateful to the people at the top for giving us you know what we get is ridiculous because all they're doing is reacting to where the demand is. And it, you know if players want more tournaments and show up for tournaments, then tournaments will happen. So it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, the legacy pit running these legacy events if they're not going to run them properly. <laughs> you know, somebody else will fill the gap if the demand is there. Uh, to, and it, to be fair, to be fair, th- this stuff is hard to do as well. This isn't something that, like, you know, people can just up and on a whim be like, yeah, I'm going to run this tournament and run it successfully. It's like, so we're not just shitting on... Yeah, no, obviously it's a difficult thing to do. It's something they that, did a good you job know, of a lot of it. Yeah. it's something that you have to grow over time. So I, I think... You know, they made a major mistake in trying to grow too quickly, um, you know, which is a mistake a lot of tournament organizers have made uh, in the past because you got to build up that that sort of brand equity. I I think NRG is doing a pretty good job of it, you know, running, you know, three, four. It's like four events a season. So I think they've done 12 events over this this year. Um, You know, you can't oversaturate, uh, but you also, you know, it's good to be out there consistently. And they, they had, you know. Have obviously more of an established name than, than uh, and they Legacy Pit does. Every single time, to, d- despite the uh, the attendance. Yeah. So I will say this: 
in defense of the thing, they did cancel an event once, but that was because it was going to be like there was just going to be nobody there. Yeah. Of like you know like that was circumstances beyond their control as well from like things that happened with Watsy. Sure. Whatever. Like the yeah. format got killed and he had announced this event like six months prior yeah. or something. You know, um, those lines. But but uh, you know, and they don't make profit on those things either. Like not the actual event, the tournament itself. I, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you, but I think it's important for people at home to know this. Even Star City Games, the actual tournament itself, like the actual event, I don't know if they ever actually like profited off of the actual events. Like you're, that's almost always run at a loss because you're trying to make money off of all the other stuff and like developing a brand and stuff like that too. So like yeah. assuming that's a thing you can do and then putting it onto the players, I'm just not a big fan of it. Yeah, you know, the, the it's so, you know, they're they're all just responding to the demand from what we're doing, and so it it's us as players that are that shape the community, and you know, I I feel like there's this sort of idea that you know tos and Watsi and us are like sort of all in it together, and I don't really think that is true. Like when when the when the entities at the top are the ones that are actively trying to make a profit. And you know, you know, not to say that like players aren't trying to win money, but you know, we certainly don't profit off off of tournaments because it, that's the way they're structured. They're structured to profit the, for the people at the top. You know, there is a an inherent antagonism that exists there that we all have to acknowledge. That doesn't mean that we can't work together. It is not a um, oh, there's a term for this in Marxist theory. Um, it's not a um, I can't remember it, but the antagonism doesn't rise to that kind of level. Um, but like, it's we shouldn't just be kowtowing to everything that these entities are doing just because they're the ones that happen to be, you know, you know, uh, you know, in Watsi's case, printing the cards or third-party tos like running tournaments. And you know, SCG stopped running tournaments for you know whatever their reasons were, um, or stopped running a, a tournament system. They do still run tournaments. Um, and you know, energy ha has stepped up to try to fill that void because they think that there is a demand there, and uh, you know they seem to be doing pretty well. Hopefully, they continue to do well and expand. I would like to play some NRG events. Haven't done that yet. Same. I've actually yeah. done a ton of coverage for them. I haven't played one. Let's just, let's just go to a team event. Like, let's just do it. <laughs> I'm I'm not joking. Like, um, you want to go to Fort Wayne? Where, is that Indiana? Yeah, it's near Indy. Oh. How so, how easy is it to get there? Like, can I fly into that area? I mean, if you flew into Indy, I bet we could pick you up on the way. It's a little past Indy for us. Is that, is that is that a team event? It is a team event. It's the first weekend of November. Let me check my schedule. I think I'm in San Jose the first weekend of November. I, I would have to figure out a way to get there, but I'd be interested in making it work. That's one of my few weekends where I'm I'm free. That one I got to check because I do have uh, Flesh and Blood Worlds coming up, and I think I'm in uh, uh, Chicago. I think I'm in California yeah. for like a week that week. But it. It doesn't. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to see a bunch of players arguing on behalf of TOs and on behalf of Watsi and Hasbro when you know they're generally the ones making money. Obviously, Legacy Pit did not make money last weekend, but you know I feel for them. I really do. Like I want yeah. them to succeed. Yeah, I want tournaments to to be healthy and and but in order for that, like the, a TO, you know, very clearly advertising a certain number and then not paying that number out is bad for the community. It is bad for tournament magic. It is bad for legacy for them to have done that. Uh, you know, so the like 
and I, I don't understand why, why, what's so difficult to understand about There's that. There's no optics about it that are positive. Yeah. It's only, it's only negative. And it, it harkens me back to when Legacy started getting phased out of the SCG tour. And I remember, you know, people were very vocal about it on social media. And usually they're in the minority. Like, I, I hate to admit it, you know, I like Legacy a lot. But, like, there was a, a good reason to start removing uh, Legacy from the SCG tour. And I remember Nick Miller once said it. He's like, look, you know, if you guys want Legacy on, if y'all want Legacy on the SCG tour, we got this event. I think it was in like New York. He's like, show up to it. We'll get, you know, a lot of people to play in it and then watch it. You know, it's, it's got the lowest numbers of watching and the lowest attendance numbers. He's like, if you really, you know, if you guys want to save your format, show up and do the work. Like, you know, show us a reason to do it. And it didn't happen. You know, like the, the numbers continue to plummet on both ends. The, the same thing happened when, you know, Las Vegas did, you know, uh, didn't hit the one team open they did there to maybe go start going back to the West Coast. And, you know, you know, I, I wish that we you know lived in a world where it didn't matter how much profit it was generated and we could serve everyone equally. But until that changes, this is the reality that we live in and, and we have to adjust it to that reality. Uh, but I'm certainly amenable to changing the reality in that way. Um, you know, I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, until that happens, I'm not going to stop arguing on behalf of what is in my best interest as a competitive player and what I think is in the best interest of the competitive community at large, trying to, you know, garner the biggest share of the pie that, you know, that I and we can. And for, for whatever reason, that seems to generate significant backlash from, you know, certain segments of the community. And it, it just completely baffles me that, you know, because I think they they equate with like what's good for Watsi is good for the game, and that was the bill of goods that we got sold ten years ago when this process was starting, you know. And you know, competitive players were just kind of you know lazily complaining about these products because it wasn't anything we cared about. And they're like, yeah, but like Watsi's making a lot of money off of it, and blah blah blah. And you know, uh, that's you know that's going to eventually be a rising tide that lifts all boats, and that has just not been true. The competitive community has been gutted, and we are now a shell of what we used to be, and are trying to claw our way back to some part of it. So, you know, if you're continuing to peddle those lies, I no longer have any sympathy for you, and I will be actively hostile, because I have heard that before, I believed it for a period of time, and I saw what it did. Uh, real quick, before we move on any further, I want to make sure that we do mention our sponsor, Barrister and Man, because I did forget to do that in our last episode. So I want to make sure that uh, everyone at home, holidays are coming up. Really good gift idea is some stuff for that special person in your life from barristerandman.com. It's man with two ends. Uh, Ross, do you remember the code? I would like to put you on It the is MTGRANTS2022. It's in all caps, if I remember right correctly, too. Yeah. And that will give you 15% off your order at checkout if you haven't used this code before. So make sure you use that code uh, at checkout. I highly, highly recommend, 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 I don't speak for a living, Ross, I promise. I highly recommend the body soaps. Huge yeah. fan. Uh, they last a decent bit. They feel amazing. I've never had my skin feel better. They also smell amazing. Um, I've, I've got some scents that I like. I'll probably a little bit better and a little bit worse than some of the other ones, but I haven't disliked any of them. There's They've a new, th there's a new scent I really like, Tan, and it's Muir Wood. Have you had this one? <sighs> M-U-I-R wood. So, 
Like John I, Muir? I, got a new, I just got a new shipment uh, in. I haven't opened it yet. Like I told you, I like to kind of like wait and, you know, have a yeah, be surprised thing with it. Yeah, be surprised with it. So, like, when I need my next bar of soap, I'm just going to open the box. So, I'm hoping one of those is in there because half the time when I order stuff, I just get he he just sends me extra stuff. So, yeah. But yeah, if you if you want to send suggestion at home, Muir Wood. Yeah, so make sure you check out that. That's BearSternMan.com. But uh, but Ross, like overall, um, less doom and gloom than I thought I'd hear from you today. Just the the typical the typical rant. I brought up the points that. I wanted to make, but hopefully yeah. in a more measured manner. That than you would I'm, have a few hours ago. Uh, yeah, that I'm, I'm, and hopefully that goes over a little bit better than just a loud screed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, I was supposed to say, was there anything else you wanted to, to chat about today? I think that's a, all the the big stuff that happened. Yeah, that's all the big announcements. Um, you know, there were some very strange and kind of cool decks that did well over the weekend. Uh, I don't know if you've looked at results at all, but there there was a Pioneer uh, a Super Qualifier for the RC where uh, Gruel Legend Aggro made the top eight with Gruel Class, and, as well as this new uh, sort of nearly mono-white mid-range deck that has been uh, was initially built by Kellen Pastor, and he's been tweeting about it and playing it. Uh, has a, I watched his... Uh, he's 7 uh but... Um, um, Oh god, X Whale on on Moto will um, Kruger. Yeah, Will Kruger made the top eight with a an earlier list of of Kellen's. Um, you know, Kellen posted to YouTube an, an overview of his matches from that event. Uh, if, if you're interested in it, but it's like it's a you know it sort of looks like the old Heliod Ballista deck without the combo, but it's just a grindy mid range deck that splashes for Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Um, and generates a lot of value with Extraction Specialist, Sarah Paragon. Like, you play Specialist and return Charming Prince, and then Blink the Specialist and return, like, Rafine's Informant. Um, and it plays Chain to the Rocks and Portable Hole, so a lot of cheap interaction for Mono Green and uh, the, the Aggro decks. It, it looks kind of cool. I've seen some pe- other people playing it. Um, you know, Kellen is still working on it and tuning it. says it's, you know, still pretty far off. Recently, I mentioned a list without Karn, which had been in, in all the previous lists. I kind of like that idea, mainly because it opens up your sideboard, and the Orion decks often have trouble, you know, siding out all their bad cards in a given matchup, so taking up sideboard space with, with a Karn wishboard, um, you know, is a significant cost. Um, the, the Gruel deck, I'm less uh, sold on. It just seems to me like a deck that is, you know, when you activate Gruel class on turn three, and get to go off, it looks great. And when you don't do that, it looks pretty bad. Um, sure, sure. And without you know any ways to fix your draws or tutor for the gruel class, uh, you know it, it's just not going to uh, not going to work out that often. Um, but I, I remember looking through the results that last weekend and thinking that was really cool. Um, otherwise, you know, not a ton to report from you know Pioneer and Modern over the weekend, which are of course the formats I'm I'm pretty focused on. At this point, I'm mainly just looking towards Brothers War cards and trying to figure out where, you know, they might impact the metagame. But other than that, you know, for the RC, I look at Pioneer right now as very similar to Theros Era Standard. If you remember that, it was Mono Black Devotion, Mono Blue Devotion, the Gruul or Jund Monsters decks, and um, Azoria slash Esper Control. And that, you know, format kind of worked like a rock, paper, scissors. 
where the control decks beat the devotion decks, the devotion decks beat the green decks, and the green decks beat control. And I think that is is happening here with Rakdos, green devotion, and various aggro decks, where Rakdos beats aggro, aggro beats green, and green beats Rakdos. Um, and so my deck choice will likely just come down to like what point in that cycle we're in in the week leading up to to the RC, unless I think you know a something is going to you know significantly change that dynamic tell you what let's let's uh let's save more of that for the next episode so sure at home can maybe hear a little bit more on that we'll, we'll get back into our good. normal competitive oriented content next week yeah yeah well you know we'll see maybe there's another huge announcement we have to talk about so we'll, we'll see we'll see all that happens but that's that's gonna be the plan and uh spoilers gonna be starting relatively soon as well in the next couple of weeks for the new set so we can start talking about that a lot as well so uh, everybody, thanks for listening to this, uh, I want to say, special edition episode, but we wanted to kind of make up for the fact that we've had to skip a week or two for everybody here as well. Plus, this was a really good uh, thing to talk about, and it was a mailbag question this week. Like, hey, can you guys talk about this? And I'm like, oh, oh, we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, well, they, yeah, they got their mailbag worth. And anyway, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening.